Hi everyone, this is Sean Glaze. I use they them pronouns and I'm the Chief Consulting Officer for Inclusive Data. Today, we're gonna to talk about budgets. Budgets are one of the most important components of a grant application. It's where we explain what we're doing, how we're gonna do it, and what it's gonna to cost. Today, we're gonna to go through a budget template for a large federal grant for the Build Back Better Regional Challenge Grant. But first, this. Hello, hello, we're back. So I'm super excited to be sharing with y'all more details about the Build Back Better Regional Challenge Grant. Now, if you're listening to this recording and this grant has already passed, I want you to know that this grant will still be very helpful um, as an example for what you need to know for a federal award. Federal awards, especially in the United States, are when the federal government gives grants um, to communities, to nonprofits or businesses, um, institutions of higher education, et cetera, to do the work that they want to do. Today, we'll be talking about the Build Back Better grants because they are a constellation or a group of grants that all have very similar requirements and very similar approaches. And so I love to use this one as an example. And this one, we can see, yes, even small nonprofits can be part of a winning team. And there are many businesses who are also partnering to create strong applications for this grant. Now, let's talk about budgets and um, how they can really be a way to help us with building relationships. Budgets can be particularly helpful, y'all for brainstorming, for coming together and talking about how we're gonna do the work. Today, I'm gonna to show you one of the official budget templates from the Economic Development Administration, the EDA. They created this template in order to make it easier for people applying to start to account for costs. Um, what I love about their template is it's actually very similar to many of the templates that grant writers engage with all the time. So those of you who are new, uh, as long as you learn how to use this tool, you can learn how to use other tools, including Inclusive Data's budget template, which is even more detailed. All right, y'all. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, if you are following along, I'm going to describe the template. If you are watching the video for this, you'll see us uh, go through each of the tabs. Um, and if you are not watching the video, I'll go ahead and explain the template out loud uh, so that if you have downloaded it, you can see what we're looking at. So when we open up this budget template, the first thing we see at the very bottom is that there are several tabs. There's one that has the EDA disclaimer and instructions. There's one for timeline. There's one for budget narrative, there's one for staffing plan, and there's one for budget overview. What's lovely about budget templates like this is very typically you start with your instructions and you end with a, a, a worksheet or a tab that has information that is automatically pulled from earlier tabs, which means that if you do this correctly, the very last tab in this example, the budget overview, will 
will have everything you need to quickly talk about your idea. Let's start with the EDA Disclaimer and Instructions tab. For this one, we can see a disclaimer from the Economic Development Administration, which explains that this template is optional. It's really to help you put your information together, and they even list the very specific forms that are related to this template. Um, you can, of course, provide this in a different format. They say that as part of the disclaimer. Another part of the budget template and the EDA disclaimer and instructions tab says project costs must be substantiated to the point that the award official can determine whether proposed costs appear reasonable, allocable, and necessary to meet the project's scope of work, as well as whether those costs meet any other specific requirements that may apply. They reiterate that this is an optional workbook and can help your organization meet those requirements. So I'm going to say that in normal language, y'all. This worksheet that they've provided is optional. And really what it's going to do is help their people who are looking at your application understand, you know, more or less what y'all are up to. And if your budget numbers seem like they make sense. They are not um, here to sort of hold you to any kind of, you know, you're not making a contract with the Economic Development Administration. It's really just so they can get a sense of, you know, where you're at and your proposal and um, what those costs look like. At the very bottom of this template, we see the actual instructions and I will read them and then we'll explain them. When I read them, it says instructions. This is an optional template for the purpose of applying for an EDA grant in phase one of the Build Back Better Regional Challenge. Please fill out the timeline, budget narrative, staffing plan, and subalreadies budget if applicable. The budget overview tab will auto-populate based on the inputs from the other tabs. So now I'm gonna explain it. So basically, again, optional tool, uh, optional budget template, um, for applying for this grant, especially for phase one, we're really, we're just putting together the technical assistance and the overall idea. You're going to fill out some of the tabs, namely timeline, budget narrative, staffing, you know, we're really going to give them that detail. And then again, that last tab, the budget overview, it's just going to automatically do the math for us. So let's go ahead and get started thinking about what all of this really means. If you go back to thinking about what it takes to create an effective strategy for grants, we know that a lot of it is preparation. When we are preparing, when we are approaching this task of creating a budget, usually I recommend people to create two versions of their budget. One overall budget that has all of the money that we are planning to use for the whole project, really build it out and dream, creating living wages for our, for our personnel, like really doing the work that's necessary to do this work justice. Um, the other budget that I encourage is one for the specific grant. So when I'm brainstorming with my collaborative partners, we're gonna create one version that's the overall big picture you know, from several funding sources. And then we're gonna create another one that's for the specific requirements for the grant. So in grants like this, where they don't allow for say travel costs, if my overall big picture includes travel, I'm gonna have one version of the budget that has the travel, that has like every single thing 
that I'm going to want to plan for, and then another version of the budget that doesn't have things that I can't ask for. So let's go ahead and take a look at this budget template and talk through it. So at the very bottom of this template, I see a tab that says timeline. I'm actually going to start with that tab. Clicking on that, I see that there are uh, essentially there's a Gantt chart, which is kind of like a visual representation of what the tasks are and when they're happening. What's nice about a Gantt chart is you can see when something starts and when something stops. And with this particular example, they actually have three parts. They have like the ramping up part, the doing it part, and then the winding down part. So they have ramping up, execution, and wind down. They've color coded it for us in uh, red, yellow, and green, or yellow for ramping up, green for executing, you know, doing the work, and then red for winding down or closing the work. If you are red, green, colorblind, I just want to mention that in this template, the very last, um, the part where it's winding down is always the very last colored cell in the template. Um, so that's really just helpful for you to know. Um, all right, let's go ahead and look at this template together. At the very top, it says a Gantt chart such as the following may be helpful to present key milestones and deliverables for the project. And then in their example, they have five, well, they have six activities, and then they have a financial closeout preparation. The financial closeout preparation that they have here takes about three months. I actually think this is pretty reasonable to plan for the last three months of a large federal award like this to be just wrapping up paperwork. You're going to want to start that at least three months before the end of the project. For this particular grant, they had said that they're expecting you to take anywhere from 12 months to 24 months to um, for this part of the project. And the example template they give you, they actually show on the timeline tab a project example that takes 18 months. If you needed to extend this to 24, you would just start entering in the row three, um, you would start entering, you know, 19 month, and then you go over 20th month, 11th, or 21st month, etc., all the way to 24 months. All right, so let's let's go through from top to bottom. On the left side, I see our six activities. They give you examples. I actually recommend going with these examples in your um, version, just because it's a little easier to wrap your head around. Usually staffing, like new hires, is one of the first things for any grant. So I'm going to go ahead and have that first um, activity be staffing. So row four is just going to say staffing. Row five, it currently says activity two, and it gives an example scoping and strategy development. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to take it and turn it into scoping and strategy development. Once you have your strategy, Typically speaking, you're going to start doing things like um, some type of preliminary analysis, some engineering study. You're going to be collecting some pre-design, doing some pre-design activities. So I'm actually just going to name that pre-design activities. And I'm going to give examples. So that's going to be, say, you're going to do environmental study, right? 
and you might be doing an engineering study. For activity four, that may be some amount of uh, community engagement. So I might say community engagement and outreach activities. For number five and number six, um, it really depends on your project itself. All of this does really. But what I really want us to do is to think about what was going to make a strong application. We're going to need to do some research. So pre-design activities, research, we've got an environmental study and engineering study. We're going to have to do some engaging community, uh, which is under community engagement and outreach activities. And then depending on the nature of the projects, we might have very different ones here. So if I am proposing, for example, a workforce development program um, as a component to my overall big picture idea and say it's a tri-sector one, I've got all these different stakeholders, um, we are probably going to want to collect information, talk to community, and then meet to sort of synthesize some of that, right? And so I'm going to name that as an activity. So maybe this activity is, let's call it um, synthesizing and consolidating um, information. Or we can say synthesizing and consolidating um, recommendations. Right, so I've got my professional recommendations, I've got my community recommendations, and maybe the very last thing I'm gonna be doing is um, preparing the phase two application. Um, and maybe it's preparing phase two application adjustments. Okay, so I've got my activities, again, pretty high level. And then I've got my financial closeout preparation. So I'm gonna put together something that looks a lot like this. What's nice about this example is that it actually follows a normal flow, right? Like we have to hire people in order to do the work, whether that's gonna be like our coordinator positions, our administrative staff, we're gonna need to hire people to help us make this happen, our core team. And then we're going to have to develop scope, schedule, you know, strategy, all of that. And that's going to take some months. And so we want to make sure we do that first to really build this out. We're then going to talk about some pre-design activities. Usually that's going to be research, some type of collecting information and like putting things together and like making sure that this actually makes sense. We wanna make sure we always, when we can, include some type of tie-in to community engagement, outreach, et cetera, because we wanna be building um, this in collaboration with community, right? And so we wanna show when that's gonna happen and what that's gonna look like. And it's okay if you um, are unsure exactly um, how long it takes to do this step. But generally speaking, we want a lot of time for community engagement. Synthesizing and consolidating information recommendations is important because if you do all this work, right, you're scoping, you're doing your research, you're talking to community, we really wanna make sure we've carved out time to think about what we're doing and how we're gonna implement it. And then finally, we wanna make sure we have time and our budget for closing out the financial component. So that's the left side of the sheet. 
Now, the right side of the sheet, we see that's the actual proposed project period. That's when you're doing the things. I'm going to give you some general ideas of what this, uh, what's reasonable, especially for a large award. So staffing. Staffing here and the example they've left for about two months. I think that that is um, probably a little generous. Uh, <laughs> or rather, that's like uh, conservative, I guess. It's not quite enough time to really staff up completely unless you're just talking about the staffing for the core team. I would recommend giving yourself about three months because you need to develop the job descriptions, post them, interview people, hire people, etc. So I would recommend at least three months. In order to show what that looks like, um, I am going to suggest the following convention. I'm actually going to suggest that your budget um, start with a ramp up period um, for this timeline template um, always, which was yellow in the uh, example that's for this particular Build Back Better uh, award staffing budget template. Um, so, and I want three months. So my first, my first cell for this Excel spreadsheet will be yellow. The next one for month two will be green. And then the final one for month three will be red in this example. Really, I want to show that we're going to be ramping up. So that's preparing job descriptions, right? Identifying how we're going to do payroll, et cetera. We're going to spend a whole month just on that and on posting. Uh, a whole month on you know soliciting interviewing and then like a whole month on winding down picking our final candidates and then moving forward so i definitely would recommend three months for this if you can two months is also fine if you are doing the work now to start to develop out your job descriptions and all of that other good stuff um, but it's risky right you want to have your award notification for your phase one grant before you start to really do that and they're not planning to put those out until December. And then they're planning to have phase two grants to do in March. So I would recommend thinking about a three month uh, time period, but it really just depends on you and your partners. For something like scoping and strategy development, I actually would leave it what they have, which is that they had scoping and strategy de development for about three months. I think that's about right. Um, I think that you could also keep it in months one, two, and three, because realistically, you're already going to be scoping and starting that process right now as you prepare for your phase one submission. So I'd keep that the same. Now, the next task or deliverable in our worksheet is pre-design activities, right? So I gave examples, environmental study, engineering study, uh, collecting research. I want our pre-design activities section to actually be fairly long, um, maybe not the whole uh, 18 months in this example, but certainly something that's going to last for a while. Um, uh, for me, I typically see that a lot of this pre-design, like study, scoping, et cetera, can easily take six months. Uh, or in some cases longer, just depending on the scale of what you're doing. Um, often you have to account for the fact that um, engineering firms or research firms could be booked out by quite a bit. And so if you're not getting the awards until December, you may not be able to schedule with people until February. 
Um, if you're partnered with a local or state government, though, you may find that there are enough staff members in-house for the government to do this. But if you're going to be outsourcing it, then you're kind of at the mercy of whatever their availability is. So I would keep this one pretty long. And the example they gave, row six, um, it goes from the first month all the way to the 18th month with one month month of ramp up and one month of wind down. I'm gonna make a change here. I'm gonna actually have it to where our first month starts some pre-design activity, and I'm gonna suggest that it will actually take us about two months to really uh, get started setting up scheduling, that it might take a good six months to complete the execution. So uh, that means um, looking at having month three, four, five, six, seven, and eight all be green, again, that execution. And I'm going to have that last month, month nine, really be when we start to wind down. Um, so the rest of the sheets, I'm going to go ahead and turn those white so that they look like they're blank here in this template. And so now I have a really clear two month ramp up, six month execution, one month wind down um, task for this budget template. The next thing I have on my budget template um, is community engagement and outreach activities. That's my next task or deliverable. I have a one month start time and then I have uh, month five is currently when we're planning to end. We're gonna change this. Community engagement and outreach activities, let's plan for that to take pretty much the whole time. Um, so I'm gonna change this to where the red for the wind down is um, all the way at the very end, you know, month 18 in this example. And I'm gonna copy what's in uh, month four, that green, and I'm gonna pull it all the way over to month 17 so that I have a ramp up period that starts the first month and then I have a community engagement and outreach going from month two through 17 and then month 18 is when we are winding down. It is crucial that you are planning for community engagement to be something that is happening throughout the project. You don't want to create a plan where community is only engaged for just a little bit of time. It takes time to do things like translations. It takes time to do things like you know mapping out your, your plan. And in fact, I would also understand if you have a two month ramp up period for this one, where you're really just building out that idea and starting to secure the uh, resources necessary to make it easier for people to participate, whether that is childcare, food, transportation, expanding internet access so people can participate online. Like you're gonna want to really plan to, to take the time to do this right. The next item on our budget template is synthesizing and consolidating recommendations. So if you're doing all of this work to be collecting data around our, um, you know, the environmental study, the engineering, the community stuff, then probably you're going to want to take some time to really think about what you are putting together. I would recommend you're not really synthesizing things until after at least your uh, your uh, data is collected. Um, so I would go ahead and you know plan to just kind of 
not necessarily start this phase until you're at least at week eight, I would say. Uh, nine makes more sense because that's when you're winding down from the research in this example. So I'm going to go ahead and have nine be month nine when we're going to start that process of synthesizing and consolidating. Um, and then week 10 through 17 is when we're starting to synthesize and consolidate that a bit more. And then week, sorry, month. <laughs> and then month 10 through 17 is when we're consolidating. And then month 18 is when we are winding down. So uh, what's nice about this is that gives you a lot of flexibility. And there is uh, certainly, um, as um, your design, your research pieces, if they run long, then you still have some flexibility in your budget. All right, two more line items, y'all, for this timeline tab. And then we're going to talk about the next section. The um, task and deliverable for preparing phase two application adjustments will be fairly short. Um, we're going to go ahead and I'm going to start by clearing out the template so that it's completely blank for that task. And I'm going to say, OK, when am I going to be preparing phase two application adjustments? I think probably that will take place uh, in advance of the actual, um, like we really need to put this together fairly quickly based on when this application is due. And so for us, this application, you know, is due in March. And so we're gonna have this be um, happening for like maybe even one month or two months, uh, just depending on uh, what makes sense for your particular organization. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that we are going to do this in the first three months um, with month one in this example being uh, December, month two being January, month three being March. So I'm assuming that as soon as we get the award in December, that's where we're going to start ramping up for submitting our application. In January, we're going to be working on working on creating that preparation. And in February, we're going to actually be submitting the application. So I'm going to you know, plan for that to be three months. And then finally, we have financial closeout preparation, which I'm going to keep like they have. Again, having at least three months for that. If you want to create more time, go ahead and do it. And so that's our timeline tab. So for those of you who are following along on the actual um, document, the template, you can really see how we've just gone from um, looking at the instructions to looking at a timeline. This is gonna be our North Star. This is gonna be what guides us as we put together our conversations with partners. Um, I think with a grant that has a tight timeline like this, uh, this one way to do this would be to have someone from the team um, take on creating the initial draft and then setting a meeting where you walk through it together. You may make adjustments or even add rows to make this easier for y'all to understand how you'll work together. So in the example that I just gave you, most of y'all are going to be doing the beginning activities together like thinking about staffing and scoping and strategy development, usually the people who are around the table for creating this proposal are gonna be the same people participating in that. So you want them to agree to sign off, to say, yes, this sounds good. 
For some activities though, like some of your partners may not be as involved. For the pre-design activities, you're more likely to be engaging you know, consultants for that part. And so you may not necessarily need everyone that's around the table to sign off. For the community engagement and outreach, perhaps your nonprofit partners are shining here and they can say, well, we actually need more time or less time, depending on what makes sense for them. And for synthesizing and consolidating recommendations in this example, you may have a small team that's really pulling those together and then presenting them out. You wanna talk about these kinds of things, like these implementation ideas as part of your conversation. What I want to encourage you to avoid doing, unless you have strong relationships already, is trying to create a meeting where you're drafting this real time. Please take the time to have someone run point or be the lead on putting this together so that you're not arguing a lot over it and instead can really focus your attention on creating um, something that people are just signing off on and providing little minor edits. Okay, so that's the timeline. Um, we use timelines to help get a sense of not just when things are happening, but also to start to think about who needs to be involved at what period of time. The next thing that we can look at together could be the budget narrative where we go through each detail. But actually, instead, I wanna to talk to y'all about the fourth tab in this template, which is the staffing plan. Staffing plan is one of the most straightforward parts of this. And so I'm gonna go ahead and step through this next. The staffing plan on this budget template um, says that you really should include a detailed breakdown of what people are spending towards this actual project. So you can imagine some staff have multiple projects that they're on. They're on this grant, they're on that grant, or they're on this grant and they have all these other things that they're doing. We're really gonna wanna make sure that whether it's the overall budget or the one for the project, that we are only counting the hours that they're spending on um, this particular you know, project or idea. Now, I know you may be thinking, what's the difference between the overall version of this and the project version of this? For your staffing plan, they really shouldn't be very different. You're gonna need staff for both of those, and so we want those numbers to match. They also say that staffing for sub-awardees or contractors should not be here and should be instead somewhere else, and I agree. When we think staffing plan, we're thinking about that core team that's really taking this home. We're thinking about everyone who is around the table that is um, central to this work happening. We're not thinking about contractors and we're not thinking about people who are gonna be sort of paid later after the fact that we still need to figure out. This is really gonna be, in most cases, like your lead institution staffing needs because these are the folks that are gonna be responsible for making sure the project happens the way it needs to. So um, on this particular tab, again, that's the staffing plan tab of our budget template, we see that they have six different employees, employee one, employee two, employee three, et cetera. We also see that they have their annual salaries, how much time they're spending on the project, the um, dollar amounts from this award, which is automatically calculated, the number of years, which if this is a three-year grant, you know, how many years is this particular person working? And then finally, um, for the 
purpose of the staffing plan budget's overall picture, we see the total cost by employee, um, which again is calculated. What's really nice about seeing this is that um, we can see it's actually pretty simple and should be pretty easy to fill out quickly. Another thing I'll pull out for y'all just to make this, um, just draw this uh, attention to this, is they have a line for total fringe costs that is set by default at 10%. Your actual percentage could be lower or higher if you are providing um, any kind of fringe benefits. I don't know if you have um, health insurance or things like that. Being able to calculate it based on a percentage can be helpful. I've seen this be even like 30% before to account for health insurance and other kinds of expenses, in which case that will, um, you know, changing that number will make sure that your numbers are accurate for your staffing plan. On the right side of this template, you can see year one, year two, year three. Again, uh, because it's a multi-year award, you have options here. You'll also see that they have a difference between federal and non-federal. The reason why this is important is that most federal grants assume that you're going to have other money to help pay too, and some require it. Phase one for the Build Back Better Regional Challenge Grant does not require a match uh, for uh, that particular part of the grant, so that's helpful to know. But you want to make sure you're still putting numbers where they need to go so that it, it's a complete picture. At the very bottom of the staffing plan and the budget template, we can see that there's a narrative section where you say um, for each employee what their title is and what their project responsibilities are. This will very likely be a different title and a different project responsibility than that person's actual job title um, and job responsibility. Um, it should be related, but these are likely to be different. Um, so, for example, you may have, say, a, um, a coordinator, an economic development coordinator, who's going to be in charge of collaborating with all the different coalition partners on this grant and making sure that things are filled out correctly. Um, if that's the case, we want to make sure that we are putting that on the application. Now, when we zoom in, that person's actual title might not be economic development coordinator or what have you. The person's actual title could be executive director of a nonprofit, or it could be uh, economic development director of a region. It could be anything, right? Um, but we want to make sure that the title makes it easy for whoever's reviewing to get a sense of what they're doing. We want to avoid having vague titles and vague responsibilities. At the very bottom of this staffing plan template, it says that the total personnel cost should account for all personnel costs charged to the grant and should include federal sources as well as other sources. We also see that the fringe cost should be calculated and documented based on what you're actually planning to submit and that they may, they may, um, uh, you may need to submit supporting documents and policies so that it's not just a random number. You can find more information about fringe benefits and the documents that came with this notice of funding opportunity, um, as well as in other places. So do not worry too much about that. For the sake of today, where we're just going through how to use this template, I want to just kind of um, give you some examples. So here, um, we would change where it says employee one on the template. 
everywhere where it says employee one, we're gonna give it an actual person's name. Um, in this example, I'm gonna go ahead and use my name, Sean Glaze. I'm also gonna change it at the bottom for the narrative to Sean Glaze. Oops. <laughs> Um, so once you make that change, and I'm just making this change on my end as well, you could really just copy and paste. There you go. The first thing I do is annual salary. Now, y'all, I really want your annual salaries to be based on actual numbers, like living wage calculations. What's really nice is you can create living wage calculations using um, a website from MIT. So um, this website is a living wage calculator, um, which is really helpful for determining what is an appropriate amount um, to pay someone and to have them actually get their needs met. If you haven't used a living wage calculator before, um, I definitely encourage you to check them out. Again, it's nice because it creates a point of reference for the uh, government to understand, you know, you didn't just pull these numbers out of nowhere. Um, for those of you who are following along via video, um, you can see that I will be sharing my screen just so you can see what this looks like. Okay, so livingwage.mit.edu, livingwage.mit.edu is the living wage calculator um, that's really helpful for the United States. You can see that they have state, cities, and even metropolitan areas um, in here. So I'm in Seattle, Washington. If I type in Seattle and click go, I can see that for my area in Seattle, Tacoma, Bellevue area, that there are several numbers for calculating a living wage. Right now, at the time of recording, a single adult with one child would need to make $35.19 an hour to have a living wage. Two adults with one working would need to, and with one child would need to make $32.44. Um, if you are in Grant Slayer Academy, you'll know that I have like a pretty standard way of calculating what living wages would look like for, um, for nonprofits or for a business. My standard way usually involves thinking about your current staff and what they need, and then going with the number that would cover the staff that has the most children. And so in most cases, that's gonna look like um, two, sometimes three children. And it's also gonna look like whether you have one or two adults. If you um, don't have staff yet, um, I do encourage you to really think about a living wage for a single parent um, to make it easier for single parents to work in your, on your project. In this example, if I have a single parent that has two children, then I need them to make $43.42. Often two children is about the right number um, for people who are estimating and don't have staff yet. So. I'm gonna use 43.42 in order to come up with the salary requirements. What's also nice about this resource is if you scroll down, you can see what typical expenses look like. So if I were making a more detailed budget and I wanna talk about what I wanna spend things towards and get a sense of what's reasonable for say my um, constituents or the community I'm serving, you know, to be able to cover costs, this version at the bottom is super helpful. 
And then at the as you continue to scroll down, you can see what some typical salaries look like for different professions. And that can be helpful if you're developing your economic development strategies and you want to talk about what um, you know, a reasonable salary range looks like for a particular type of job. This is going to help for that. And this example that I'm using, which is going to Seattle, I can see that a management related uh, salary is 131, you know, over $131,000, but a um, arts or design, entertainment, sports and media is uh, a little over $60,000, almost $61,000. So I highly recommend you to use living wages. So this example, I'm going to pull it $43.42 an hour. Um, as my um, frame of reference. Okay, now we're gonna go back to that template, right? So I'm gonna share my screen again for those of you who are watching by video so you can follow along. And I'm gonna say that Sean is gonna make, instead of $0, Sean's gonna make $43.42 an hour times 40 hours a week, right, times 52 weeks in a year. And I'm gonna put the equal sign at the very front so that it'll calculate it for me. So Sean is gonna make $90,000, right? That's how much Sean would make for full time. Now, maybe Sean's not spending all of Sean's time on the project. Maybe Sean's only gonna work on the project like a quarter of the time. So not even 20 hours, maybe something like 10 hours a week on this project. That means that the template will automatically calculate how much I'm gonna ask for a year, which is only 22,000, a little over $22,000. And maybe Sean will be here for all three years. Once I put in those three parts, it'll automatically say then the total cost for Sean it's gonna be a little over $67,000 um, for this project. And it automatically also calculates what the total cost is gonna be for personnel as well as fringe. So I will repeat this process for every single core employee that's gonna be on the staffing plan. Again, not sub awardees, not contractors, just your core team. The next thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take those numbers that are over here, and I'm gonna to start to talk about how much is gonna be my federal and how much is from other sources. In this example, I'm gonna assume that um, all of it is gonna be for federal, and I'm also going to assume that it's the same amount each year, right? And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go equals, and I'm gonna do this amount here, um, which is annual dollar from award, which is column E, and put enter. What's nice about that is because I'm assuming that Sean's going to be the same amount for each month, then I don't have to uh, do any math. When I adjust things, like it'll automatically um, adjust for me. So here I have, again, my annual amount is 22578 and if you look at total cost, that's the same number. And the fringe, again, it's automatically calculated. Okay. In my example, I am going to have the same amount for Sean year one, year two, year three, right? And so I'm going to do the same thing. Year two, I'm going to put 
equal sign and then I'm going to click on the amount for annual amount from award and hit enter. Same thing for year three equal sign annual amount from award and hit enter. Once I have completed that, it's going to have a checkpoint and column N that says does breakdown match your total. And if it does, it's going to appear green and it's going to have this, it's going to look good. It's going to be like green, you're, you're good here. You've got $67,735 here. You have it here. We're good. Okay. So we'll do the same thing for each employee. What's really nice is if you're going to have the same amount for each year, then now we can do this thing where we can select the federal share for any given year. So for, in this example, uh, cell H10, you know, Sean's federal share, and we can just pull it, pull that corner down so that uh, we uh, use the same formula for H11, H12, H13, et cetera, for each employee. Let's do that again. We're gonna go to, in this example, J10, which is Sean's second year federal share. We're gonna hover over the right-hand corner until we get that plus icon on our mouse, and we're just gonna drag and drop. Do the same thing for year three. Hover over that little right corner, drag and drop. In this example, I am assuming that I don't have any non-federal share that is going towards this project, right? I don't have any other money that I'm pulling to pay for Sean's role um, on this project or any other employee's role. This is probably the most common scenario for those of you who are newer to creating your budget ideas. And you're gonna follow the same process for each employee. If you have, if you're planning to bring them in in later years, uh, year two, year three, or only have them for one year, of course you would need to make adjustments. But this is just an easy way of showing you how this essentially works. So let me give you an example of what we would do if we're just bringing someone on for a year. Let's say that we're bringing on Lauren Jones um, on this project. I will update employee two on this sheet to say Lauren Jones at the top and at the bottom where I have my staffing plan. I'm gonna give Lauren a budget. So here uh, I, in this example, could look at my sheet and I can say, wow, Lauren is uh, single. So Lauren's living wage calculation might be a little different, right? Lauren's calculation may be, maybe um, I know that Lauren is single and has no children and will not be having children, uh, but maybe Lauren will have two working adults. I don't know. Then Lauren's, per, Lauren's uh, number is actually different, right? No children, two adults. That's $26.93 in my area, right? I'm looking at my living wage calculation. So I'm gonna go over to here. I'm gonna do equals. I'm gonna do this. Now, if you have a salary for people already, of course, use their actual salaries. Uh, you know, that makes sense. Um, but if their actual salaries aren't living wages, feel free to have this number, the 2693, be what makes up for the gap to be able to bring them to a living wage. We should be able to use grants to really create robust budgets for our community so that we don't have to keep struggling. 
So in this example, I have $56, um, essentially $56,000. I say Lauren's gonna work full time on this. So we're gonna put her at 100% for the annual cost for the budget. We're gonna have her work on this for one year. Now, notice what happens. I brought her down to one year, but I have on the right side that she's working year two, year three. This uh, checkpoint in column N goes red to let me know something is wrong. I will go ahead and delete her for year two and year three because she's only working one year and that'll fix it. So that is how you use this budget template. We use, we enter in our numbers and then like we're able to create these calculations. Let's go ahead and go down to the staffing plan narrative. Again, I want to create titles that make sense. So for Sean, maybe Sean's title is usually executive director, CEO, founder, whatever. But here we want Sean's title to be descriptive. So maybe Sean's going to be the economic development liaison. And maybe Lauren is going to be um, someone who is um, responsible for helping with the scoping and then we'll leave, right? So maybe Lauren is like our scoping specialist. Here for our economic development um, liaison or like our economic development coordinator, whatever this role is, I wanna make sure that I am helping the reader understand what this money is going towards. In this example, this money is going towards um, coordinating the coalition partners. And it's going towards um, managing sub-awardees and that's a fine amount of detail for lauren as a scoping specialist it's going to be um, managing scoping um scoping time and schedule right and it's going to be coordinating surveys or research Now, as a person reviewing this staffing plan, I can understand how each person that's on it is contributing towards the success of the project. They have titles that help me understand what their roles are. They have project descriptions that make sense for those titles. And uh, for people who have a higher uh, dollar amount um, that is going towards the project, like in this example, Sean um, has a, um, total cost of 67 grand, I can understand that, you know, if Sean's coordinating coalition partners and managing subawardees, I can understand that. Similarly, Lauren has a pretty important role as well with managing this scope, time, and schedule. Um, and it's gonna be putting full-time hours towards that. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, I will say in this example, if you have someone that's helping to coordinate coalition partners and managing subordinates, you probably don't want to have them only 10 hours a week. You probably also want this to be a full-time position or nearly full-time. So don't be shy about really being um, making it make sense and having their percentage be higher. Here, for example, I might increase Sean to 80%. And what's really nice about setting the budget up this way is we can kind of play with these numbers and see where we're at to get a clearer read on um, what this is going to actually cost and how how quickly this money will be gone, <laughs> essentially. Um, so that's that's how to use the staffing plan. All right. So the last thing that we'll look at together 
will be the budget narrative. The budget narrative tab in this uh, template is the third tab. It is probably one of the more um, intimidating ones for people who've never done budgets like this before because it does have a lot of parts. But guess what? We're going to be just fine. Okay, so I'm just going to move some things out so you can kind of see where we're at. Some of the components of this uh, tab are automatically calculated. So for example, we can see that now that we've started to put together staffing, our total personnel costs are pulled from that staffing plan, right? As are our fringe costs. Yay, one less thing to do. We also see that our total costs on our template um, for the federal amount and for our match are automatically generated and that there's a checkpoint checker on a column K and L at the top that say that all of our project totals line up. We want to see yes for that. Um, let's go ahead and get started from top to bottom. So we have our personnel taken care of already, right? Um, make sure that we are listing all those, those key staff on that tab. None of the sub-awardees and none of the contractors. That's what this sheet's going to help us with. We can see that there are line items for travel where you're doing an event and you're having like travelers as a purpose. Uh, honestly, I feel like the only times I see travel costs on awards now, especially during the pandemic, is when there are like required convenings of bringing people together, um, like meetings with the funding agency, for example. I don't anticipate most people completing the Build Back Better Regional Challenge are gonna be doing much travel, um, but you can follow the rules for the requirements for travel costs in this particular document. I'm gonna skip travel because again, most of y'all aren't gonna need it, and so there's no reason to go through it in detail, um, but just make sure you're putting you know, your event, your travelers, your purpose, your cost, and how much is federal and non-federal. Again, not anticipating a lot of travel. All right, so equipment. Equipment is usually things that are very expensive, like more than $5,000 per thing. Um, so that could be, hmm, say that you have a workforce development program and you're gonna need to, um, I don't know, create, like buy like a very large office printer or something like that, or a multifunctional device. So you're going to be expanding out internet access and you're gonna create these towers that cost like $10,000, $20,000 um, as a component. Like things like that uh, would go under equipment. Um, usually equipment is stuff that lasts for more than a year. So uh, it's not something like paper, right? That's just going to be gone before you know it. Um, so I'm going to use the example of uh, the workforce development program is what we're developing out for our regional challenge. Uh, that's a tri-sector uh, project. We um, don't currently have, um, for some reason, a multi-fancy printer multifunctional device. So I'm going to say we're going to do a multifunctional device. An example, uh, we are going to say that that's going to cost $7,000. Um, it's going to be shared across the different regions. And that's going to be our like regional, you know, thing. And like maybe it prints stuff and it like mails it out for us automatically. I don't know. The purpose is uh, to 
um, print and share or disseminate um, project materials. So this is an example. Um, and then the cost. Um, so here we see that they're going to be pulling from the section for the federal versus non-federal. So cost is automatically calculated. So we're going to go ahead and say how much for the federal. Let's say I'm, I'm going to buy this in year one and it's only going to cost something in year one. Then I put, you know, 7,000 here and then we're good. I'm not going to have any year two or year three. Typically speaking for equipment, um, you're not necessarily going to have multi-year e equipment costs. Um, you may do that if it's like, let me think, what's a really good example? Hmm. You may have, let's say that your um, regional challenge grant is going to require you to buy trucks, refrigerated trucks to help with like produce or something like that. Um, then you, I could see having like a refrigerated um, food storage truck. And I can see that being like, say that is $80,000. And this is for, um, I don't know, say your project's about food sovereignty. Sovereignty uh, for the region. So like having people have food, grow their own food, grow local food, take care of themselves with the food they grow. Right. Um, and then let's say again that it's 80 grand. But there might be costs year after year that you're spending. So oops, we're going to put 80 grand in the federal share. So let's say we're going to ask that and we'll double check to make sure this is an allowable expense before we submit it. Um, looking at the guidance for a particular grant. But let's say it's 80 grand and let's say in year two and year three, we're not buying new trucks necessarily. Um, Maybe we are, but like we, we may have um, still some amount of expenses related to these food, food related to these vehicles. And so like maybe every year there's another five hundred dollars that is going towards the expense for this vehicle because maybe you have to upgrade it or something. So this this amount here doesn't match. Right. I'm, the cost is eighty one thousand uh, dollars. Um, for this particular thing, but you know, these don't have to match, right? Cause it's the cost per unit is 80 grand. It's okay if it's more than that. We're just gonna go up and see that, you know, our, our, our totals still match. We are just trying to make it easy for people to understand you know, what that is. And we can have like 80 grand here, but plan to buy two trucks or something, right? And so we'll do 80 and 80 or what have you. All right. And then supplies. Supplies are usually things that are less expensive. They don't necessarily last very long. We do want to be detailed. I anticipate for this section, if you're very detailed on your application, you could easily have like 20 different rows for supplies that you would need. In this example, I've got a multifunctional device um, that is going to be printing and disseminating project materials. So I'm probably going to need like paper and uh, stationary, right? And you know, maybe I look up online um, and I see Office Max, Office Depot, and like all these places where I source paper, Uline, and I look at the cost per unit and I take an average. Let's say that every, you know, I need to be devoting like, I don't know, $5 per big, it's actually more expensive than that, right? Like $20, 
um, per paper stack and per envelopes and all that other stuff. And I can say this is going to be for mailing, outreach. Also, it's also going to be for um, so outreach activities. It's going to be for um, um, sharing uh, with coalition partners, something like that, sharing information. Right. And then my total cost is, again, automatically calculated. And so maybe in year one, I'm planning to spend $90,000, I don't know, um, and printing and mailing. Mailing really adds up. I would use the United States Postal Service to give some calculations. Like I wouldn't just pull these numbers out of nowhere. Um, but I do think it's pretty reasonable that you can end up spending, say, $10,000 uh, and your first year just in like printing and mailing pretty easily, depending on the scale. And maybe years two and three, like when you are really focused on the execution and like you're building things maybe, and you're like wrapping stuff up or you're um, putting money towards an existing project, maybe your needs are different. Maybe in year two, you don't need as much money. And maybe in year three, you need even less. So we would do this for each of the supplies that we would need. Um, we'd go through and just kind of think through it. Um, some common supplies I want you all to think about is office supplies, of course. Um, those are big, smaller equipment um, that you're going to need in order to do the job that you have. Um, and again, you can look at the definition. That's part of the official um, documentation for your grant. There's sometimes there are supplies that are allowed and some that aren't. And you just want to make sure you're making um, good choices. All right, we're actually nearly done with this sheet. Contractors, contractors and sub-awardees, we are, these are the people who aren't the lead institution, but are still getting paid out of this work. Now, I wanna be really careful here um, because we wanna make sure that we are clear about who's a contractor versus who's a sub-award. A sub-award is really like on the hook, like listed as a coalition partner, gonna be receiving money out of these federal funds, to do the work. Um, if the lead institution's a city and you have a nonprofit partner on the application, that nonprofit is usually the, like a sub-awardee. If you have a city as the lead institution and you have higher education, like a college as a partner, then that college would be a sub-awardee. So like people who are like around the table making this stuff happen, those are usually your sub-awards. Um, clicking on column C, uh, row 35, you see there's a little drop-down arrow. Click on that, and you can select contractor or sub-award. Um, so that's how you make sure that it's clear. You will put an organization name. So maybe this is for like Black Williams Research. Maybe they're going to be our research firm. They're going to be a contractor because they're not around the table, you know, dreaming this up. And they're going to be providing research. Uh, they're going to be providing those environmental studies. And they're going to be uh, providing um, uh, any kind of like um, community, community research analysis, right? So just make it clear what they do. Uh, costs will be automatically calculated. Maybe in the first year, they're doing like a small um, feasibility project stuff. So they're in 40 grand in year two and three, they're doing an evaluation perhaps. Um, so they're going to be doing like a more substantial piece of work. 
And then, you know, maybe in year three, they have even more money that they'll be, we'll be spending with them. For these, it's not uncommon for contractors to be paid out of multiple grants. And so you may actually start to have non-federal shares here. Like if you've already secured grant funding to pay them for this project, um, that's gonna go under non-federal share. Uh, but for those of you who are newer, probably you're not gonna have a lot of non-federal shares. All right, and my sub-awardees, maybe this is a, um, Maybe this is a nonprofit that has been participating in the design of this project. So they are going to be um, listed here um, as a sub-awardee and otherwise the same information. All right, last uh, couple of pieces. Construction. Construction is not allowed on this one. So you're not going to have construction expenses on the grant version of your budget. Um, but on that full version of your budget, you will probably want to have um, really think about if you're going to have construction costs. And you can use this template to keep track of it. But again, when we submit this uh, template or this uh, any kind of budget for this grant, we want to take that out because it's not allowed. And lastly, anything that doesn't fit in the other categories goes here under other. So uh, for that, um, one second, my computer's doing a thing. Okay. So for other, that's any other costs that don't fit above. Let me think of what's a really common example. So for some of y'all, if you're putting together budgets for the first time, um, you may not account for postage under supplies, but maybe it's here under other. Um, things that I see more often than not include uh, if you had space costs and you had a grant that allows for you to, say, pay for a building, or pay for space rentals, pay for utilities, pay for um, any kind of like uh, rental fees that you may have, um, equipment that you're not buying per se, but you're leasing. Uh, all of those is the same thing. You list what it is, how many of them you'll have, and the purpose. The cost section, column F, is automatically calculated based on what you put in columns G through L. So once you've done all of that work, you're finally coming to the very bottom of this uh, template, which talks about indirect costs. Please, if you are new, this is probably something that you are not familiar with. Please make sure that you are including overhead or indirect costs in your calculations. Make sure that you are including overhead or direct costs in your calculations. Um, everything that we've just listed above, these are all direct costs. So what I like to do personally, just to make this easier for me, is once I've completed everything else on this sheet, I will go up to the top where it says total um, federal amount, like that total amount for the project. Um, which is in like J3 in this particular template. I'm going to copy it because that's like all of my totals, right? I'm going to scroll down. I'm going to right click the uh, F57, cell F57, and I'm going to paste the values by hovering over 
the paste icon and the one with the one, two, three, paste those values for this number. This is my total direct costs. There's no overhead in here yet, right? I haven't calculated my overhead yet. I'm gonna paste that there. If we had federal share, we're gonna make sure that we go through and like include that. But for the most part, we're just gonna use that number. And then we are going to do a percentage um, on here. So I'm gonna do 10%. I'm gonna use 10% because if you haven't already negotiated a rate with the government for something else, then 10% is the number that you should be using. It's called the de minimis rate. And it's just like, that's the amount that's not gonna trigger kind of people raising their eyebrows. If you're partnered with a university, they've typically negotiated a much higher rate, sometimes 40, 50, 60% of the award goes to their indirect, yikes. So, and make sure you're negotiating that with them um, too, with, if you're partnering with a, your lead institution, they have a high indirect rate. All right, which means that your total allowable indirect cost is $65,959.72 in this example. Um, so that is super helpful to show here. And then what I typically do, um, again, this is just me. I take, I, I, for, for each year, year one, year two, year three, under federal share, I click enter. I click on the uh, total level indirect cost. So that's 65 plus grand that I just talked about. And I divide by three. And then um, I do that again for year two equals that total cost divided by three. And then equals for year three, that total cost divided by three. And I split it out equally. You don't have to do it that way, but this way does not raise eyebrows. It makes sense that you're gonna have the same amount of overhead year after year. Um, and so that's good. The non-federal share, like again, if you had other grants and stuff, then you would you know, essentially be putting things there. But this is like a really tidy way of just making everything line up. I'm gonna scroll up and uh, make sure that I have most of the things I need. Aha, I see period of performance. So here um, we could put a number there that, for this example, for three years, I'm thinking that's 36 months. And that's just a really helpful way for us to be able to demonstrate to someone, if we were to share this budget with them, how we are thinking about our project. It has all of our costs on it. Uh, it has our personnel costs. It has our fringe costs. It has our travel costs, zero in this example. It has our equipment. It has our supplies. We're looking at our contractors right, and our sub awards. We're looking at construction costs, which are not allowed on this grant. And then we're also looking at our other costs, which could be like anything else that doesn't fit. Um, you know, make sure that you're looking to see if space rentals and like being able to get uh, properties might fit. And, you know, you can always contact the Economic Development Regional Office for this particular grant and ask them questions about what is and isn't allowed. You don't have to guess. They are there to help. All right, y'all. I know that was a lot of information. I know that you can do this because we've done it 
together. And I also know that if you play your cards right, this document can be extremely helpful as you build your collaborations. We wanna make sure that we are matching this robust budget with what funders are eager to fund. So in order to create this specific budget, I need to know about what does the Economic Development Administration wanna fund? Um, if you've been following us along for this opportunity, you know that they wanna fund things that are in line with their comprehensive economic development strategy um, for a region. So that if we go to the economic development districts in our area, you type in, uh, economic Development District in Seattle, Economic Development District Houston, wherever you're at, and read what's called their Comprehensive Economic Development Strategy, a document they're required to create every five years, maps out their whole plan for the economy. If we read that, then we can see like essentially what they're eager to fund. And we're going to use that as our North Star, our guiding star uh, to get us home. We're going to create budgets that align with that. So if, if your area is really interested in aerospace, then we're going to have aerospace related expenses, right? We're going to have aerospace related supplies. We're going to have aerospace related personnel. So like making sure that we are building out our budgets uh, in a way that reflects what they want to fund is the name of the game and that they're robust enough to have living wages and uh, or at least make up the gap between what people make in a living wage um, so that we can um, really build something that's going to last. We talked about collaborating. You need to talk and trust in order to make it robust. We need talk and trust to make it robust. So we need to make sure that we are talking to our partners about what's going in the budget, who's going in the budget, and at what rate. That's really going to help us have something that people understand and can bring to their, their collaborators, their community to sign off on as well. The next thing we want to do is we want to win, man. Like we want our winning budgets to include our overhead and our indirect costs. We want to negotiate with our partners about what that looks like. So if we have a university and their indirect rate is typically 60%, we're going to want to talk to them about maybe reducing it to make it a little easier for their collaborative partners to have what they need to, to create a robust budget as well. And you may find that they will negotiate for you as long as you advocate for it. So they can ask for less than their um, typical rate um, and they won't do it unless you talk up and you say, you speak up and you say, hey, this is something that we're really looking to show your commitment to community. The winning teams of the Build Back Better grants, especially the Regional Challenge Grant, will be getting a lot of money for their community because not only will they be winning that particular award, but all these future economic development awards need to align with the winners for these types of um, Build Back Better grants. So yes, even small nonprofits can be part of a winning team that is getting billions of dollars for their communities. All right, so I know we've covered a lot and I really appreciate you sticking around and understanding more about what it takes to create a winning budget um, that's going to help your team really understand how you're going to work together, how you're going to collaborate, and also help the people reviewing your application to start to imagine and to see it take shape. I'm really thrilled that uh, to offer you our um, advice on what we see that's worked well for other uh, grants because I think it'll help you not just in Build Back Better Regional Challenge Grant, but also these other grants that are out there that are um, targeting our communities to provide support. 
If this is helpful, I do want you to know about our class, Grant Slayer Academy. It is where we really break things down so that you too, even a beginner, can create things that win. <laughs> we don't want you wasting your time on strategies that aren't going to be successful. If you would like to get into our class, check out grantslayer.com um, for our $10 million plus grant playbook on how we've gotten Black nonprofits and Black small businesses over $10 million in under a year. It is six weeks. It is pre-recorded content, kind of like this, as well as tools, tips, and templates to make it easy for you to do what you need to do. It also comes with time with my team, six weeks of time with my team, where we kind of talk through what you need, find out any resources, and create things to help you be in a leadership role for collaborative proposals, while also learning how to get grants without having to write your own proposal. Um, and how to attract funders so you don't have to keep chasing paper. Uh, it is a program that is really designed uh, to be supportive to people around the world. So if you're a non-governmental organization or you're planning to be one, you know, or you're outside the US, there's stuff in there for you, including Africa and the United Kingdom. If you are someone who's just you know, interested in learning how to create a better fundraising strategy, there really is more than just grants in there. So you get to learn about sponsorships and donations and like all that good stuff to help create a better revenue um, situation for yourself. And if you're just interested in free resources and support, you can always check out our social media inclusive data, which has resources. You can also um, access these resources at easytree.me slash inclusive data. So easytree.me slash inclusive data. We use EasyTree because they are a black woman owned firm. So they create this great linking service so you can have all these links like a link tree, uh, but it's owned by a black woman and it's better uh, in terms of the features and it's cheaper. Like the whole thing is like better on every level. Even if it wasn't cheaper, highly recommend y'all check out EasyTree. It's so important to support black women Support Black folks and our um, and our efforts to build a better world together. With that said, we'll see y'all next time. Whether that is on our podcast, um, which is like Black people deserve money too. You may also see it as Black folks deserve money too. Or you can check out our online communities, uh, BlackJoyHealthWealth.com for businesses, or on Facebook. And we're also at We Deserve Grants, um, bit.ly slash We Deserve Grants, which is our group, Black Nonprofits Deserve Grants too, where we provide a lot of resources for nonprofits, non-governmental organizations, community-based organizations, people with and without status, right? We're out here like getting grants for our community and teaching y'all how we do it too. So that said, again, thank you for following us today while we talk through the budget. We talk about how to use this template to build out our timeline, our staffing plan, and our budget overview, which is really going to help us to get these dollars. If we don't equip ourselves with these tools, then we can't serve our communities in the way they need to be served. If we don't learn these tools, then we're going to keep leaving money on the table. And now's not the time to do that anymore. Tap into Grant Slayer Academy, follow us at Inclusive Data, and we will help us all get free. That said, we'll see you next time. Bye, y'all.